Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's performance of My Favourite Flop. At this time, we ask that you turn up the volume on all cell phones, laptops, and car stereos as loud as possible. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back. Well, hello, you magical listeners, you. I decided to shake it up this week. I don't know. Uh, I like it. Okay. Anyways. Welcome uh, back to my favorite flop. We're so happy you're back. Oh my gosh. Episode 10. Like, okay. I mean, I've made a big deal about several of these benchmarks, but 10 is, I think, in podcast land, 10 is like, oh, we're doing this, isn't it? We made a commitment and we are here. And you guys are enjoying it, which is even better. Hearing from you throughout the weeks really just brings true joy to my life. And I love it so much. I mean, and people in the industry, too, are enjoying it. It does. It's great, isn't it? Well, I'm Christina. And I'm Bobby. We're your hosts of My Favorite Flop. And we're so happy you came back for episode 10. Oh, my goodness. So happy. Uh, Okay, Bobby. What have you been listening to this week? Okay, so in honor of episode 10, I actually decided to go back and to listen to the first flop that got me into the floposphere. Of I love the floposphere. <laughs> making up all these words. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that my first favorite flop was Carrie, and that did happen early on. But I would probably say my first favorite flop was probably Zombie Prom. And I discovered Zombie Prom in high school because uh, I was the drama club president for three years. Of you know, course you were. Big deal. Uh, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. But uh, for three years and uh, our drama club really wanted to do Grease. And this was before there was like Grease edition with songs from the movie or Grease high school edition or Grease kindergarten edition there was just grace from samuel french and it's a lot dirtier than the movie you know yeah, it's um a lot darker. it's a lot darker a lot rougher around the edges and the drama teacher was like absolutely not we're not doing <laughs> grace uh and i had paid for you know the fancy little like for anyone who knows uh it's like got a yellow cover on it with the original artwork it was like a fancy script from uh, Samuel French. And I had paid for that and I was super bummed because we weren't going to do Grease. Uh, and in the very back of the thing, you know, Samuel French in their play scripts, they advertise other plays that you might like if you like this show. And there was this full page ad for Zombie Prom. And I was like, that sounds fascinating. And I went to Barnes and Noble and I found the cast recording, shockingly, and uh, became in love with it. And not only did we end up doing Zombie Prom instead, uh, I directed the show. Um, and Whoa. yeah, nice. and was like, I'm obsessed with this show. So I ended up discovering, uh, Dana Pirot and John Dempsey who wrote it, some of their other shows. And I kind of went down this rabbit hole, which led to Carrie, which, you know, led to things that led to me studying this professionally and becoming this weird makeshift musical theater historian. So it's kind of the catalyst. So that that's what I listened to this week. I love that story. And I'm so happy that that's what you brought to the table this week. That is so great. Well, thank you. Well, I think I have to ask you for episode 10. What did you bring for us this week? What have you been listening to? I feel to? like I let us down. No. But <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I went looking because I wanted to kind of stay in theme with our show tonight. OK, so I went looking for another musical to check out from 20. 14 and uh i realized that most of them i couldn't bring up because well they were flops ah, and we will probably talk about them on our show so absolutely i ended up listening to beautiful which oh. i actually got to see the national tour with jesse mueller's sister abby mueller i forgot how fabulous of a show it is it's it's really great and arguably one of the few jukebox musicals that really really works um, having been a part of many jukebox musicals, I feel like yes, I'm have. able to say that, <laughs> including yes, the most successful jukebox musical. But uh, no, this one is just so beautiful. And I have such a warm place in my heart for Carol King music. Um, as we've talked about, Christina right. knew all the 60s and 70s hits because I had the Billboard 
cassette tapes. <laughs> from oh, of course years. you did. Of course. My sister and had I, those too. Oh my I gosh. was obsessed with them. And so I would listen to them on repeat. And so most of the, most of the score is actually on those billboard tapes. That's so good. Um, and so I, I re- really enjoyed this show. And I think that it's a really well-written, I think it's a really well-written book considering it's a bio musical. Um, and those can right. be hard. It can be hard to pick and choose what you should talk about and what makes the best story arc. Right. Um, but it's such a it's such a fantastic show. And I I love Carol King's journey with the show. And um, if you don't know, maybe we'll find some interview clips that we can share on our socials. But um, she really was scared to see the show. And then oh, yeah. she heard Jesse Mueller saying on like, I think it was like a Morning America or something like someone made her listen to Jesse Mueller singer stuff. And she was like, oh (laughs) and ended up coming to opening night and like it being a very cathartic emotional experience Mm -hmm. for her and surprising jesse by showing up on stage and they sang together it was it's like one of those great stories of broadway Um, oh i remember seeing that clip because it was either on playbill or broadway world where they were like the curtain call and it's just like you're you're crying for them because you just especially and you know her journey with it because she doesn't like she doesn't like seeing herself perform period yeah, and felt really like conflicted about seeing someone else, not only perform her music as her, but to tell her life story. Which is emotional. And for someone who's such an introvert, like that's a lot, that's a lot to take on. Oh my God. Well, I think you picked a really great one this week. I mean, beautiful is, is not only a great jukebox musical, it's a great musical. And they Mm -hmm. really lucked out with someone like Carol King, because not only did she write for herself at at some point, she wrote for everybody else. So unlike other jukebox musicals where you're taking the music of the band or the performer and trying to give it to other characters, well, she wrote for everybody else. And she wrote in so many different voices, it kind of became easy. And her life story is just so fascinating and, and such yeah. a, a great message for young women and young women yeah. in the arts and yes. the trials and tribulations of a strong female creative person. I don't know. It's awesome. I love that you. Yeah, to that. she's she as a human is so complicated as we all are. And I appreciate that the musical didn't shy away from that and didn't right. shy away from her journey at in any way, shape or form. So oh, it's it a good one. It's a, a good, good one, one to listen to. OK, I think I think it's time, Bobby. Let's give them the clues and see if they can guess before we announce what we're talking about. <laughs> before we announce it. Okay, I'll start this week. <laughs> Clue number one, which we gave at the end of last episode, was this. Andy Carl starred in this musical, which is based on a film, which could be several. So It could be several. Several of them. Clue number two was on Twitter, and it was the film that this musical is based on won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Ooh, uh, which was followed by clue number three. This is one of my favorites. It was the picture of turtles. Just because why not? turtles, turtles. Why not? I love turtles. All right. Clue number four was that awesome blog post that you did on five musicals about sports. Sports. Who knew there were so many? There are actually more than five. I'm sure BTW. there are. You just uh, picked five good ones. I picked the good ones, uh, which leads to our last clue, which we're giving you right now. And it's this. One of the longest running musicals in Broadway history was forced to change theaters due to the technical needs of this show that we're talking about. All right. Do you think they figured it out yet? I feel I like think they figured it out. You piece the puzzle together. I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah. Should we give a drum roll? Yeah. Drum roll, please. <gasps> <laughs> Rocky! Rocky! The musical! Not to be confused with Rocky Horror. That's a different... No, two different shows. Rocky Very much two different shows. Okay. So Rocky. So Rocky. Let's start with our synopsis. Now, I feel like since since our episode on Anyone Can Whistle, my synopses have become a bit infamous. A bit convoluted. So I'm going to stay in that vein tonight and okay. say Rocky the musical is based on the film and scene and that's it no I'll give you the log <laughs> line at least. <laughs> Rocky brings to life the story of struggling small time Philly boxer Rocky Balboa who gets a once in a lifetime shot to go the distance against heavyweight champ Apollo Creed that sums it up 
Yeah, absolutely sums it up. And if if you hadn't seen the movie before, I think that gives you enough to continue with the conversation. But I, I, think, I think so. I yeah. think most people probably are familiar with Rocky, right? I think so. I mean, look, let's start with the film, right? Because this is our source material for tonight's show. Uh-huh. Um, the film was wildly successful in 1976, and it took a long time to get made. And the journey to it getting made kind of set up how a lot of Hollywood has continued to be built with its stars and such um, oh, yeah. since this movie was made, because Sylvester Stallone was like, well, no one's hiring me. No one's going to put me in a show. No one's going to put me in a movie. Fine. Right. I'm going to make my own. So he wrote this script and it took him forever to get funded. But he right. finally got there and he filmed it. And then it got nominated for 10, 10 Oscars and won three. Oh, my goodness. Well, and it's and it's become that thing. I remember in drama school, uh, it was literally like, well, just, you know, pull a Sylvester Stallone and write your own movie. And it's oh, like, yeah. OK, I mean, I know Lin-Manuel has done that thing for us in the theater. But I mean, the Sylvester Stallones and the Lin-Manuels are pretty rare that you end up seeing in yeah. that kind of like level of success. It's not like yeah. every kid in drama school can be like, I'm going to write a movie. And oh, by the way, it's going to make millions of dollars, win Best Picture and spawn. There are nine of them now, Christina. Did you know I that know. there are nine Rocky movies? I did. Nine. I did know there were nine. And they're still making them. I was reading articles where they were like, he just pitched a prequel series. So was it like Baby Rocky? Like, I don't... Yeah, sure. But the musical follows the movie very closely. And it's probably because Sylvester Stallone co-wrote it, you know? Yes. And they really they really stuck to the same character arcs. They stuck to the same like major milestones. And they we've talked about this with musicals that have been made from movies, right? Where you're going to take iconic moments from the film. And then what do you do with them in the musical? Right. Um, and like probably the most iconic moment in the film is when he gets up those steps. There are a couple iconic Rocky moments and they're all replicated in the musical. But those steps, I mean, him at the top of the steps and the gray sweats, that's a big one. It, it's in the musical. I mean, the eggs are in the musical. Uh, I mean, I, Andy Carl, man, just down in eggs on stage. More power to I, you. I can't believe you did it. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you know, the final match between Rocky and Apollo Creed. Right. Which is an epic moment in that film and mm. it is an epic moment in this musical i mean so they did a pretty straightforward adaptation and um i, I don't know look rocky oh my god i so i actually saw rocky on broadway uh and we'll get to that but rocky is one of those things i remember when it was announced and they were like we're gonna do rocky as a musical and i and i just remember thinking if you handed me a list of movies and it could be any movies like, I, it doesn't matter what else was on the list. Rocky would probably be my last choice of the one. Hey, let's turn that into a Broadway musical. So I, I don't know. I mean, obviously it happened. They didn't ask my opinion, right? Um, <laughs> but like, it, from what I read, it was Sylvester Stallone's idea, either in the mm. late 90s, early 2000s. And he approached Thomas Meehan, who wrote the book with him to the musical, Thomas Meehan, we've actually mentioned him a couple times. Yeah. He wrote uh, one of the failed books to smile in episode six of my favorite six. book. Uh, and he also famously wrote Annie. So that's a huge There's one. also that. And, and the producers and like things like that. No big it's deal. It's interesting that you bring this up now. So you have Meehan, right? And he's mm-hmm. such a classic book writer right. for classic musicals. And then he also went and had... Clarity and Aaron's come and write the music again. Very classic, very traditional musical theater sound to them, right? Right. And that is not what I picture when you tell me you're making a Rocky musical. Yeah, I I, I want somebody with some edge. I want I want a rock opera sound, right? Like that's what comes to mind as a fan right. of musical theater and as a storyteller as well, because. You can't do Rocky the musical without Eye of the Tiger and the Rocky theme. Oh, and they're they're both in the musical. So they And they therefore def- you have to match 
that sound, right? Like, no, you have to use those. And we need to make sure that we encompass what that sound and what that theme is throughout the show. And that was one of the things that didn't work for me in this show. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting because I think as an outsider, you know, people who have seen the movie, which and didn't physically create it for themselves like Sylvester Stallone did. Mm -hmm. I think we can see all of those things objectively. I mean, I kept trying to put my head like Sylvester Stallone's head on, right? Of why he thought this might make a good musical and why he would approach Thomas Meehan and Aaron's and Flaherty. And I'm conjecturing here. I know I use that word a lot, but maybe it's because at the heart of the movie, it's a story of this underdog, this man who doesn't even I spoiler alert he doesn't even win in the end uh but it's really about this journey and I think it's one of the reasons the movie is so popular especially with uh, the straight male community it's really the story of a man who you know is kind of average I mean he's not average he's a really great athlete but you know he's not a famous boxer he's not really great at his job he's not really great at human interactions he's kind of an ofi dude yeah. And you well, see and even it, as yeah. a boxer, they talk about him being mediocre. Oh, yeah. They talk absolutely. about it in, in, the, in the musical as well as in the film. And you're right. I think that that's what draws people to the film. And I also think that's one of the reasons why you, you can make it a musical. Yeah. So I think that's what might have driven him and, and this team attraction to it is Take take the sports, take the fighting, take the eye of the tiger out of it. When you put it that way, you know, Annie, all bells and whistles aside, it's a story of this orphan in the depression, right? Right. You take Aaron's and Flaherty, they've written shows like Ragtime, which is epic, but all of their shows have this ability, no matter what they're talking about, to really show this human and emotional side. And it's very... Um, they're great with intimacy. Oh, yeah. Man of no importance. Um, yeah. You know, things like that. It's very interesting to think, oh, maybe maybe they were the, the absolute right choice for something like Rocky, right? But they also live in fantasy world, right? right? I mean, the closest thing to like a really grounded piece would be something like Ragtime, but even that, it, it's so epic in its writing. Right. But it's also a period piece. Right. Which I think suits Aaron's and Flaherty. Um, yeah. And this is not really, I guess you can now consider the 70s a period piece, but it's of a time when rock and roll was everything. Oh, yeah. And so, like, for me, I would immediately assume that you would get somebody like Jay Scheib and Jim Steinman, who right. did Bad Out of Hell adaptation. I mean, Steinman would have been a fun choice. Absolutely. Uh, or even Elton John. I know that most of his musicals are more on the pop side and right. R&B almost. But he started in rock and roll. He started as a session musician oh, for rock absolutely. and roll and soul. Even Tim Rice and early Andrew Lloyd Webber. I, I would be interested to see him try and attack a score like that again. I mean, he he did really well with School of Rock. Right. So, yeah, I think that that's who I would have gone to first. But if, like you were saying, if you're in the head of Sylvester Stallone and you're like, I want this to be a musical and at its heart, it's about this man and his journey, I need to find people who understand that and want to stay grounded in that storytelling. Right. And the intimate moments in this show are actually really well done. Oh, they're beautiful. Really well written. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that that surprised me. I'll throw one other composer in the mix. Like, if you wanted that Aaron's and Flaherty, it's going to connect some dots. Sentimentality. Because they really have a sentimentality to their to their songwriting. Yeah, that's a good descriptive word for it. Uh, I would say Alan Menken. And Ooh, the reason yes. I say Alan Menken is he actually wrote, I don't know if you knew this, <laughs> Measure of a Man from Rocky Five. So he had already written for the Rocky series. Um, there you go. He started out with that pop rock vein and has obviously ventured into it in his career. You know, yeah. um, not everything is the Disney, you know, part of your world. Uh, and on top of that, Elton John is the one who sang Measure of a Man. <laughs> So lots of so dots really connected. they should have just teamed up is what we're saying. I mean, does Elton John write lyrics? Because that would be fascinating if the two he of them had worked in together. The past, but he has always said that he has written them. Right. But most of the time he hates his lyrics. Oh, OK. And he doesn't. Most of the time they don't make any sense to him. Right. <laughs> so, no. Well, anyway, I think we offered a uh, Jim Steinman Rocky. I mean, look, 
It is so incredibly heartbreaking. One of my favorite composers, uh, the Jim Steinman is no longer with us because Mm. I can't even imagine what that production would look like or even sound like, but I'm fascinated. Yes. But we got Aaron's and Flaherty and it's, and it's a good score. You know, it just, and I love Aaron's and Flaherty. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So this musical is under gestation for years. Like I said, years. He, he contacts Thomas Meehan either in the late 90s, early 2000s, based on what article you read. The The amount of years they say they've worked on it keeps changing, but something <laughs> along that time period. Uh, and they hold some workshops through the 2000s. You know, famously, the 2011 workshop features Andy Carl uh, in the lead, finally. And they finally pick up a big producer, which is Stage Entertainment, who had done Sister Act on Broadway, uh, but they're actually a European producing firm. Uh, and they decided that they would bring it to Germany, to Hamburg first. And okay, so, so that's how it got to Germany. Mm-hmm. European producers. That's how it did. They wrote it in God. English. So what's crazy is Andy Carl did these workshops. Then they took it to Germany without Andy Carl because he does not. Yeah, speak. the only one they brought <laughs> was Terrence, who played Apollo Creed, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they went to Germany and you, did you know, do you know who played Rocky in Germany? Because he's one of my favorites. I looked it up, but I I didn't recognize him. Okay. So it's Drew Sarek, who is, uh, the Quasimodo from the original German (gasps) production of Hunchback, (sighs) who sings that crazy high C at the end of Made of Stone. He has a fabulous voice. And, um, he does English stuff too. I don't, I think he was actually, he might've been in Lestat. Don't quote me on this. Uh, but he famously did that production of Jesus Christ Superstar uh, where he played Judas, I think opposite Billy Porter. And at the end of the suicide, he blows his brains out. There's oh. blood all over the script. I don't know. It's a big deal on YouTube. Um, but I love that. It was really good. But he played Rocky yeah. in Germany. So that's who opened the show. I mean, that makes complete sense, especially if you want someone who already speaks the language. That makes sense. Right. Um, I wonder how Terrence did being the only American that was brought to do it and doing it in German. Right. That would be a fascinating thing to hear from him. If you're listening, sir, we really want to know. So please let us know. <laughs> let us know. Uh, and the musical was actually a big fat hit there, you know, um, yeah. giant hit in Hamburg uh, that they brought it to Broadway almost, uh, almost right away within about a year or so. Well, in Rocky, the movie was has been a massive hit, not just in the U.S. I mean, internationally. Oh, it yeah. is one of those that transcends all language barriers. And I think oh, it's yeah. that underdog story, right? It's that thing where ev- everyone can relate to that in some form or fashion. Oh, absolutely. So there was a lot of anticipation for this on Broadway. You know, they announced it. I think a lot of people in the industry, and I will say myself included, was kind of like, huh, that's interesting <laughs> <laughs> about the idea of, a Rocky musical and the Aaron's and Flaherty thing was just it was like you're reading this musical and you're like, OK, they're going to do Rocky with Aaron's. And it was just like heads turned a little bit, uh, but it was a big fat hit in Germany. I remember the excitement of it coming in. Um, you know, I think the show cost about 20 million dollars to produce, which is uh, crazy. Over four million of that on the set alone, which is you know, a well, big piece and the of set this. did win the Tony, and yeah. as it should have, because it was incredible. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So you've got this $20 million musical hit in Germany. Uh, people don't really know what to expect, but there was a lot of excitement about it. Uh, and not only that, then they kicked Mamma Mia out of the Winter Garden. Uh, you know, the theater owners they <laughs> moved it to the Brudderhurst because they needed the Winter Garden specifically for the technical demands of Rocky, uh, right. which little bit of theater lore once Mama Mia transferred to the Broadhurst, uh, it really struggled and it ended up closing pretty shortly after that. So, um, which is interesting because the Winter Garden is famously where this whole Beetlejuice being evicted by the music fan situation <laughs> is like happening. Uh, this Rocky, the Rocky Mama Mia battle was kind of the same thing back in 2014. But yeah, so we're on Broadway now. It opens on what? Uh, oh, in March 13th. March. Yeah, yeah, March. March in 2014. And I think that it opens and there are a lot of technical issues. I don't think that we can get away from mentioning that. Unfor- there, I mean, for those who don't know, um, there are 
there are some um, clips on YouTube of how the tr stage transforms. But basically, the stage transforms into a three-quarter thrust. They bring the first, what was it, 10 rows? Maybe, it's somewhere between 10 and 20. I don't want to give an exact okay. number. Yeah, so they bring the first few rows of the audience up onto stage um, and have them as the audience around the ring. And the ring pulls out over where those people were sitting. And it turns and it's on an angle. And then on top of that, they also do the fun trick with using cameras on stage. So you could then project them onto oh, big yeah. TV screens above very much like you would in a real fight. And the fight choreography by Stephen Hoggett was absolutely stunning. As someone who has trained in stage combat, it was the two of them as well, Andy, Carl, and Terrence Archie, they accomplished that choreography so beautifully. I mean, it was really amazing to watch. So I saw Rocky on Broadway, so I want to address some of what you just put in there, technical Great. problems. Uh, famously, the first preview of Rocky was canceled due to technical issues. Uh, so that's something to mention. But I saw Rocky uh, on the 4th of July, 2014. And this was after it had done the Tony performance. Uh, it had been in previews and performances uh, for a couple months at that point. And rumor on the street was that they would be announcing their closing soon. And I don't know the exact specifics of what it was. If we got free tickets, I, I, one of my friends I went with said we only paid $10 a ticket. But it was pretty much on 4th of July, it was like this American thing that they were doing promotion and it was like what's the most patriotic musical on broadway it's rocky come see rocky and i you know i'd heard so much about it and uh, you know i was a working tour guide in new york at the time and i had met a lot of germans who were like rocky was so amazing you need oh, to cool. see rocky and so i went to the show with a couple friends on the fourth of july and when you hear about shows that have like technical problems you know and we'll cover i think some of those on the podcast as we go along, um, you'll always meet somebody who is like, well, I was there and I didn't see any technical issues the night I saw the show. That's not what happened when I saw it. Um, when I went... Which is too bad. I know. It might have actually been my fault. So the reason is <laughs> we were sitting in the theater. We bought like these $10 tickets. We were in the front row of the mezzanine. And um, I think we may have been drinking some like red, white, and blue slushy they made with alcohol. Uh, and it's... I mean, appropriate. It's on brand. <laughs> and we were chatting and um, the M word comes up. McBeezy. Uh, I think we've used that in reference on a uh, previous episode. But it was right around the time that Alan Cumming was doing the one man version of that show on Broadway. and. I vocalized oh. the title uh, in the front row of the mezzanine at the um, uh, Winter Garden Theater before the show. And I kid you not, about a minute, two minutes later, one of the lights on the balcony explodes right in front of us, Christina. Bobby! And not only does that happen, during uh, a moment in the show, you know, with this technically technologically advanced set, uh, all of the houses and like apartments were these big giant cubes that electronically moved on stage. Well, Rocky's apartment crashed with another one and the show was stopped for about 15, 20 minutes, like literally crashed into oh each my other. Gosh. These two giant. And oh, my I friends no who was I was, injured. I know, I don't think anyone was injured, but I, the set might have been. <laughs> I, probably. I just remember, you know, when the light exploded, like my friends were like, Bobby, <laughs> when that <laughs> happened during the show, though, they, I just, they all looked at me and they're like, you need to get out of here. I mean, I stayed, obviously. But so it was... <laughs> the damage was, was already done. The damage was already done. It might have been my fault. Uh, but the technological problems aside, I will say the last 20 minutes of Rocky were probably the most thrilling I've ever spent in a theater. With the fight? The fight. I mean, like you said, the choreography, the technological element. I mean, just seeing that boxing ring. And again, the front row of the mezzanine was probably the best seats you could get other than being in the boxing ring itself because mm. you got to see the stage levitate over where the audience used to sit and so you know crazy. Apollo Creed comes out with his you know his like showgirls and they're singing and they're doing this thing and you are just watching Andy Carl and him do choreography but you you forget that you're watching a play you forget that you're watching a musical you forget that you're watching theater I mean it looks like you're watching a fight and you are rooting for Rocky to win and you are devastated when Rocky again spoiler alert doesn't win um 
I would have paid more than the $10 I paid to see Rocky just to see the last 20 minutes of that show because it was it was groundbreaking what they did with that. I don't think yeah. Broadway had ever seen anything quite like that before. It no, was epic. It, it was. And I, I'm so happy that it happened. I'm happy. It's too bad that it flopped. But I'm so happy they attempted it and they tried. Like that's half of what innovation is, right? Like even if right. it doesn't work the first time, we're going to try. Absolutely. We're going to give it a try and we're going to see how it goes. Um, and Andy Carl in this role, I mean, I've seen Andy Carl on stage a couple of times. And every single time I sit there and I'm like, this man is the most underrated actor in our industry. And not just oh, yeah. for theater. I mean, for TV and film as well. I mean, he here's the issue. He has the Bradley Cooper problem where he is a character actor in a leading man's body. Right. And it took a long time for Bradley Cooper to really, well, one, get the role that really set him on the fast track for being a household name. And it, it took the right role coming along. And now he he gets to do what he wants. And I feel like that's what needs to happen for Andy Carl, because he is just he's so good. And the way he physicalizes this role, I mean, it's really hard. You have such an iconic actor like Sylvester Stallone, who is oh, yeah. very specific. And you have to find a way to internalize that character, redefine that character, make it your own, and still make it truthful and something that people want to watch. That right. is not an easy task. Right. And there's a reason they keep asking Andy Carl to play these kinds of roles. And it's because he can do that. Absolutely. And he's got this incredible voice to boot, right? But like his core, he's an actor. And so it was so fun watching him enjoy playing this role. Yeah, he. it's a shame because I wonder if he had been around in a different decade, a different era of Broadway. Because, I mean, not only is he a really good actor, he's a really good musical theater actor. And he really can paint with a wide paintbrush. Because, I mean, he was so oh, yeah. wonderful in Alter Boys and Legally Blonde. You know, really playing into the fact he's a character actor, you know. Uh, his track in Legally Blonde 100% plays up Oh my up gosh, to it's my favorite. <laughs> every one of his strengths and talents. And Alter Boy similarly. Uh, and, you know, the mystery of Edwin Drew, that revival, him and Jesse oh Mueller, they were so amazing yes. in those character roles. But he can do much more than that. Like, and you, watching him do something like Groundhog Day, which I don't consider oh him a, a Bill so Murray type, right? But he yeah. he was really great with the musical that ended up being written. But he just keeps not finding. I mean, Rocky could have been the project. He's brilliant in it, but yeah, uh, the musical itself didn't. Well, and that's how I felt about Groundhog Day. I really will talk about Groundhog Day another day. Yeah, at the end of the day, Andy Carl was totally the right choice, and I think one of the reasons it probably took so long for the musical itself to get off the ground. Not only like how do you adapt something like this, but you have to find the right guy. Who's going to start it? Yeah. Like, who's who's going to live up to Sylvester Stallone and sing? Yeah. And box. Like, I and mean, box. and swallow like, raw look eggs. like a boxer. Like, like, that's not that's not easy body type, right? Like, no. Ugh. I think finding Andy Carl is what really got this musical off the ground. OK, so I think that we also need to talk about what was going on when the film came out. And when the musical came out, because world was two very different places, right? Especially oh, yeah. for pop culture. Um, so the film came out in 1976. And at that time, there was a lot going on, but you had a lot of really cerebral, I'm going to say cerebral movies. You had like things like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Taxi Driver, right? right? Um, which had great critical acclaim. Um, but a lot of them were beaten out by Rocky. Rocky and people did it. really wanted this underdog story, right? Well, do you do you so also to mention it's 1976, that's America's bicentennial and I don't know other than when like Hamilton came out for 2 seconds, uh any other time in history when Americans have been more patriotic as a group. I mean, yeah. we we were we were really obsessed with America in 1976. And I think I don't think that celebrating America, I mean, at least in 1976 is let's talk about the crazy people. I think it was let's let's talk about this underdog boxer from Philly, right? 
that's all American. That's, and it's also like the journey of the movie, as we've talked about, is the American all, dream also, is the American dream and also an underdog story. Oh, yeah. So it had this wonderful culmination around it. And I have I've read some articles uh, that came out a few years ago uh, during one of the Rocky anniversaries. And they said, is it the best worst movie ever made? Right. Because it was so wildly successful, right. and had so much critical acclaim. But now, does it really serve the audience? Right. Is it still a great film? Does it still translate? Right. And, you know, a lot of critics don't think it does. But most of the fans say otherwise. They say that they've loved every one of the nine films that have come out equally, which is shocking. Oh I mean, that doesn't happen in a lot of franchises. No, I mean, I love the Halloween franchise and I will. I will tell you all the things about the movies that don't work in that. I mean, I still love them, but uh, that's rare that you see people with franchises that are, I think, anything more than a trilogy. It's difficult to keep people invested for for nine movies. That's insane. And counting. They're making... And counting. Like, we're not done. <laughs> and then you have the musical comes out in 2014, and there's a lot going on. In terms of pop culture, you have the height of the MCU. Right. And that is so far removed from anything like Rocky. That is where everybody wanted to live. And you had the big X-Men films coming out that year as well. Um, it's just, there was a lot going on. Even even the cartoons that were coming out, the animated films, Big Hero 6, oh, wow. fantasy, all about superheroes, right? And I would argue that someone like Rocky is a superhero, but certainly doesn't fit the mold of what we were viewing as a superhero at the time. Right. Um, it's also the same year that a couple of other states legalized same-sex marriages, the ACA, Obama's ACA, you know, and this is also when we start to see some of the divide that's really coming down the pipe in American culture. Right. Um, and so something like Rocky, like you were just saying, that is so all-American was not necessarily what people buying Broadway tickets were interested in. Well, and like at the heart of it, I mean, and this is for anyone listening who loves Rocky, I apologize. I'm just trying to put it in like layman's terms. It's a story of a kind of mediocre straight white dude. And on the heels of all of these things and, and movements and, you know, we're on the cusp of me too, hashtag me too. We're on the cusp of Black Lives Matter. Like you said, gay marriage is is becoming legalized in more states and is on the cusp of becoming nationally recognized. Yep. You've got the story, like you said, in 1976 was this all American thing. And it kind of doesn't represent the American ideals that a majority of the United States wants to celebrate anymore. You know, he, spoiler alert, again, he doesn't win at the end. And we're still like rooting for this guy. I mean, it's weird, right? Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the other stuff that did not succeed on Broadway that year, like I mentioned at the top, Beautiful was really the only real financial success out of that season. Oh, because wow. the other shows you had was Bullets Over Broadway, If Then, Hedwig. Well, I guess Cabaret. Cabaret was still going. Uh, the revival. And then you had Sideshow, which failed twice. You have Bridges, Last Ship, Curious Incident, which was a wildly successful play. Right. Right. And then you had Violet as well. What? Oh, gosh. I, I mean, I saw all of those. That I mean, that was the heat of my, my New York years. What an interesting... I didn't realize all of them were the same season, Christina. Yeah. That's... So, I mean, they're what musicals were not succeeding at the time. And I do wonder if it really has plays into... I noticed that there's a correlation when we talk about this on other episodes between what is super popular in film right, and what is popular on stage. Because this is something that Broadway has had to really face over the last few years, where how do we get out what we do to the masses, but still bring in ticket sales, right? right? There's that fear if we stream something before we premiere on Broadway, will we lose ticket sales? Will people not want to see it anymore? Right. You know, and I think that this year of 2020 is starting to prove otherwise. I mean, with the wild success of Hamilton and now they're talking about bringing Diana, the musical, 
to Netflix before it premieres on Broadway, right? right. Because of what happened with the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir here. I mean, for any yeah. listener who doesn't know, uh, I'm one of the co-founders and was the executive vice president of the now deceased Stage Network. Rest in peace. Uh, it's going to be an uphill climb. I think COVID has opened some some doorways. Absolutely. But, you know, mentioning things like Diana and Hamilton, I think they will open doorways to a point. However, I think they're going to put some roadblocks in the way. I I just I know this from personal experience because Disney paid seventy five million dollars for Hamilton. There are some people, producers in the industry who think that they should get that kind of payout for whatever their show is. You know what I mean? Um, And I don't know. I mean, Hamilton's kind of like a flash in the pan. Uh, you know, like overnight, ridiculous, crazy success story. Um, I don't know if Broadway can facilitate $75 million film deals for a lot of shows, especially if they haven't become hits already, right? Right, right. Um, But I I do hope, I mean, obviously I hope that that more things are filmed because I think you're right. I mean, it already is that way with cast albums. Like, it's so crazy that, you know, cast albums, especially the idea of a concept album, getting released before a show opens, how it can drum up. I mean, that's how Evita happened. That's yeah. how Superstar happened. Yeah. It can drum up so much excitement for an unproven property or unproven creative team, things like that. Yeah. And it doesn't stop people from going to see the show. And and for people like us, I mean, anyone can whistle. I think you will probably go rush <laughs> to the next production that's produced uh, because you discovered it, right? Like, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I, I hope, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you, Christina. I'm hoping that, that, um, things will, I, Broadway has a lot to learn from Hollywood and has a lot to learn from, you know, fandom in general. And you brought up the MCU. I mean, geeks have taken over Hollywood and it's just a matter of time before. I'm so happy about it. You guys, I'm so happy about it. No, it's, it's the most amazing thing. And I'm just waiting for people like us, Christina, to quote, (laughs) another fabulous flop uh, to take over the Broadway community as well. Cause there's a lot of us and um, yeah, I think we just need someone to kind of um, steer us all in the same direction. Yeah. I mean, I think we could agree that this musical might be flawed. So I want to ask you, what were some of the things that you thought really worked about Rocky? Uh, because I think that with a show like this, it would be interesting to kind of break down the things that were really successful about the adaptation and maybe some of the things that didn't translate well to the stage. I don't want to say not work because I don't I mean, these are Aaron's and Flaherty, uh, Thomas Meehan. I mean, these are people that I adore, so I don't want to speak ill will yeah. of of them. But I think, <laughs> you know, to have a conversation about what maybe didn't translate well for the stage could yeah. be interesting, right? Well, for me, the m- moments that didn't land were the big group numbers. Okay. All the intimate moments were beautiful. The stuff with Adrian, I mean, Margot Siebert was fabulous in this role, and I really enjoyed her, and I'm now her new biggest fan, because I was like, I didn't know you before I started listening to this soundtrack, and I was like, whoa, she's great. And she really holds her own against Andy Carl, which is what you need for someone who plays Adrian. Right. Um, and I like Terrence Archie. I just didn't... I didn't like how they rounded out his character in the musical. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, there was just something that didn't seem to gel. And I can't put my finger on it right now. But I think it was his like his musical moments didn't match his character. And like there was just a disconnect with that. And it, it felt like they didn't spend as much time rounding out his character as they could have. Right. Um, but those are the things, the big numbers just didn't land. I mean, you have an amazing choreographer like Kelly Devine, who is also Jersey Boys alum. Jersey Boys. Um, yes, but she she has done some incredible shows that I adore her choreography, like Come From Away, the staging of that show and the choreography in that show is absurd. And right. creates an environment and creates its own story like outside of what's written. Right. And that was, I mean, to date, one of my favorite musicals I've ever seen on stage ever in my life. And her work in that is just absolutely stunning. And she also did Memphis, which has, so, I mean, the choreography of Memphis is just so much fun. It's so great. Right. But there was something about where choreography was chosen to be put in the show and 
the way it was presented that just didn't didn't elevate the moment for me, which right. is what you want choreography in a musical to do. But then you have like Stephen Hogarth, who is well known for Curious Incident and Harry Potter. Right. And right. those are both beautiful movement shows. I mean, they're they're plays that that come off looking like musicals. I mean, completely. I, both of them. I was like this. I feel like I'm watching a musical. Nobody's singing, you know, exactly. And there was just something. I mean, the fight sequence at the end definitely landed. But the other choreography and movement moments in the show, for me, just they didn't add anything to the storytelling. And so they didn't feel truthful in some strange way. Um, So those were the things that didn't really work for me. But all of those intimate moments, especially between Rocky and Adrian, are just they were just so, so beautiful to watch. I mean, it's it, and I, I think it's largely because they're two fantastic performers. I remember people also who bad. yeah, hated Rocky was walked away saying, well, Margot Siebert. <laughs> I mean, well, Margot Siebert is like the discovery of the season. So hello. Uh, yeah. People were obsessed. But um, yeah, I think it's interesting that you 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 mentioned those things about the choreography, because I also want to throw in Alex Timbers as the director. You know, they and he's fantastic. He, they all are wonderful. And Peter and the Starcatcher is one of my most, again, I mean, it's kind of a musical, but not really, but it's staged <laughs> like a musical. But all of these people really, I mean, with the exception of Memphis, maybe they're, they're used to staging very experimental, you know, pieces of theater and musical mm-hmm. musicals. And it's interesting that they chose a creative team as far as the, you know, the writers, the songwriters, et cetera, that are very classic Broadway, but on mm-hmm. the on the design team, director, choreographers, they chose these people who are um, very experimental. Yeah, it's almost like on the creative side, there was this kind of um, uh, like butting heads, you know what I mean? Because if you wanted to go classic Broadway, they should have brought in, you know, someone to do some big elaborate, I mean, for those group numbers, you know, it might have been, been better to see something that wasn't trying to push as many boundaries. No, yeah, I was just going to say, I completely agree with you. And it's also interesting with Alex Timbers, he directed Beetlejuice. Right, which was a little bit shocking that that uh, he chose to do that one because of, well, maybe not. I mean, I don't know. It, he's kind of a, an unpredictable guy at this point because at one point he was directing Frozen uh, and he yeah. ended up leaving the project. And um, he did Moulin Rouge, which is pretty traditional to my understanding i haven't been able to see it yet but right so maybe he's moving in that direction i mean i know that his mo prior to rocky was very much experimental director you know things like peter and the star catcher uh and the the children's scientology pageant off broadway which if you don't know that one maybe i'll listen to that for next episode so we can talk about it uh but um yeah, it's so weird. Like, I one moment that really sticks out in my head was the iconic up the stairs, you know, the, the workout routine. Oh my gosh, the routine. way that that went was so moving. I was watching it and I was like, oh my gosh, wait, we're in the movie. Wait, what's... No, that's the stage moving. Yeah. What's happening? That that was a moment that I thought that this team, but again, it's not even Aaron's and Flaherty because it's, you know, the Rocky theme. Um that this team did get it right. You know, that final fight mm-hmm. sequence, I think, really landed. Uh, and even though it was kind of weird to see, like, 15 Rockies kind of, like, I don't doing choreography <laughs> together, uh, the, just the way that they they treated the Rocky theme and, you know, Rocky's over here doing push-ups and now he's doing jumping jacks and there's a different Rocky doing this yeah. and now there's, like, 10 Rockies and he's, the with the with the movie screens and all of that, it was actually, it was kind yeah. of breathtaking to watch. It was kind of breathtaking to it's watch. It's so cinematic. Yeah. It's so cinematic to watch. Um, and yeah, I the only thing that, like, ruined the moment for me and I don't know how you fix it is when the guide comes up at the top of the stairs because you need it right. for safety. In no way should they take that away. I want to be real clear about that. <laughs> right. But I kind of wanted it to be like gray to match the gray of the stairs and the gray of his suit because it being yeah. black and it landing right at his crotch. No other way to say it was a little weird. And I was like, oh, and now I'm taken out of the story. We just could have made it a different color. <laughs> right. 
Well, okay. So was there anything you would have changed, Christina? What would change? The big thing for me, and again, I love Flaherty and Aaron's, but I I wanted a I wanted a harder, edgier score. Right. I love the intimate moments and I actually really love the duets, but the broken nose song or my nose ain't broke. Like I get what we're going for, but it just didn't work. And I just wanted those moments. And also the ending felt rushed. Right. I would want to change how we wrap up. Most definitely it needs to stay the same as the film with Adrian, you know, and that Stella moment. But then I, as an audience member, I wasn't quenched, right? Like I just needed one more moment, one more something there. And it's scene work or something, but just something really simple there would have been nice to have to really feel like this is the end and it's okay. Like he's going to be okay. And I didn't get that. It felt like there was still something coming and then it was curtain call. Yeah. I, you know, with Adrian, it's so interesting for a show that was so experimental and creative about how it made the storytelling cinematic it was almost like and i don't even know if this is the fix but it's almost like at that moment you have this fight and there's a lot of commotion going on and he yells it and gets lost in the crowd because in a movie it's a close-up right it's a close-up of of him you see her like it's almost like they should have put pin spots on both of them and the rest of the cast should have started acting in slow motion and we should have been forced because you've got 1500 people looking at the fight you've got 1500 people looking at apollo his cheerleaders you know the crowd if you're gonna treat it cinematically you have to i mean i think people don't fully appreciate the fact that in a movie so much can be told by just a shot of a person in close-up that you can't get on stage you have to replace that with dialogue or or different kinds of storytelling and um they didn't do that it just kind of got lost in the fold i agree do you think there's a world that it could be revived? Oh, my goodness. I mean, the score, I mean, I, I agree with you that, that we need some some more rock to it. I don't know if we throw everything out, but I think we do need uh, we do need a more rock sense to the score itself. And I think the book has to figure out what it is, because if you really want to get in and dig in and make it this gritty story of this underdog man, like... I just that whole my nose ain't broke sequence does not work. And it starts even before he sings when he opens the door to his apartment and he's like, yo, turtles. And I just remember being in in the theater and the whole audience started laughing. And I think that might have been their intention a bit. But so he yeah. opens the door and he's like, yo, turtles. He walks in and then he sings my nose ain't broke to what's clearly a plastic turtle. You know what I mean? Right. And but the moment with the turtles, I actually love because it, was it shows in, it, it was it endearing. Shows his in, yeah, it shows his endearing side. It shows this other side to this, like you were saying, oaf of a man um, and gives a reason for a woman like Adrian to really fall in love with him. Absolutely. Um, but yes, the timing of the song is a little odd. It, it just the it needs to. um those things have to land, I think, stronger. And I don't know if it's a rewrite. I don't know if it's just the way it's presented. I mean, it's tough. I mean, if your line is Yo Turtles, like, and you're you're doing it as a Rocky Balboa, it's going to elicit a response, you know? And I think in any musical, singing to a plastic yeah. turtle, it's tough to make that come off the right way, you know? Even if it was a different song. Sure. You know what I mean? And that's why you get like a ridiculously talented cast, right? Oh, yeah. To make all of these things work so beautifully. I mean, let's just take a second. Even the supporting cast, like Polly, who is Adrian's brother, that's played by Danny. Oh, I'm not going to say it right. And I don't want to butcher it. But I mean, the man has done a ton of film, a ton of TV, but he's really well known for like Iceman Cometh with Denzel Washington on Broadway. Oh. Oh, yeah. You know, the front page with Nathan Lane, Lucky Guy with Tom Hanks, like Golden Boy as well. Hello with Tony Shalhoub. He, he plays similar characters. Like, he does. And he's brilliant. Right. And he's playing Polly. Right. Like they got this guy. And then they also got um, Dakin Matthews, which if I have any Gilmore Girl fans in the house. Yes, that's the principal from the high school. Not to mention right. you have Oak in the ensemble covering Apollo Creed. From Hamilton. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, he is Hercules Mulligan. And he's also now a series regular on Station 19 if you enjoy Grey's Anatomy spinoffs as much as I do. So, 
Oh, absolutely. You have this incredible well, and, cast, like, even in the ensemble. Well, and Eric Anderson, I'll bring up as well because you know we both have the LA connection. He had done, yeah. Um, oh gosh, Ragtime. He played Tata uh, in Los Angeles way back when, uh, and so that happens a lot with these composing teams. They pick out people uh, and put them in. But this kind of was like a Broadway Renaissance for him because I think after this close, he ended up starring in Soul Doctor, which. Maybe a future episode <laughs> of this podcast. Uh, but he was in the ensemble and I think he covered like everybody, um, which is crazy. He's kind of become a fixture, but kind of cool shout out to the L.A. theater community. Hey, L.A. theater. Unfortunately, it didn't work on Broadway. But like you said, it had a massive success in Hamburg, Germany. So then they tried to take it out past Broadway, right? Right. So they 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 tried to do it in Korea. Now, this is pretty controversial because they tried to do it in South Korea and uh, ticket sales were so low and they were struggling with all of the technical. I mean, because, again, now it's become like Phantom. There's this chandelier moment. It's that fight at the end. So you have to yeah. replicate it uh, that they ended up canceling the show before its first performance. Um, and Oof. the cast uh was notified by phone call like i think the what? day of of the first performance like oh, oh by the geez. way we're canceling the show so it was pretty controversial i think they ended up doing it in prague and they've been talking like since it closed they keep talking about the possibility of this ending up as an arena tour right uh either which I think makes complete sense arenas like that's where boxing happens so um and it, you, you won't have to worry about trying to fit into small theaters, you know, with the big sets and the tech. I, you can build it yourself, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, with arenas, there's a lot more seats to fill. So I think you can provide lower cost point. You know, in my research, I was seeing that um, the average ticket sale on Broadway for the show was only 81 bucks, which that's expensive that's for people. Low people like me and Christina, but that's yes. low for the average ticket price. Uh, but I remember at the time, this was kind of, and I don't know if it was them billing it this way or if it was the way it was embraced, but this was like the Bridge and Tunnel musical. This was the musical for like oh. straight couples in New Jersey coming over Bridge and Tunnel. And, you know, the, a lot of them are working class. So paying $200 to see Rocky on Broadway is not something they can do. But I don't know, at an arena in Pittsburgh. It's similar you know. with what happened with the Bronxdale. Oh, absolutely. It really hit a nerve for a certain kind of community. And I, I wonder if this was affordable on an arena tour, maybe people would see it in places like Las Vegas or things like that if the tickets were cheaper. Oh, completely. Vegas definitely works. Even things like taking it to Philly because that's where it takes place. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. I think that those types of communities would embrace it wholeheartedly. And it definitely could have a life there. This is certainly not a show that could ever have a life regionally, but certainly in a big arena tour or big sit downs. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, maybe L.A. too. I don't know. I mean, let's try it. We need to try and revive the downtown L.A. theater scene. There's some beautiful big theaters down there that really just need they need the right show to draw the crowds and bring money into the area. Because they're just sitting there, empty, vacant. Nothing's happening. I mean, bros, sad. bros who are listening, you gotta, you gotta pay to see Rocky in downtown LA. Like. Please and thank you. Well, I think that wraps up Rocky for my favorite flop. Rocky the musical. We have to throw I'm that so in. I'm so sorry. There. Rocky the musical. Or in German, das Musical. Uh, yes, but I think that wraps up Rocky the Musical for my favorite flop. Uh, a show that I don't know if Broadway was begging for, but I think we are, we have been changed for the better that it has existed. I agree. Yeah. I'm glad that they did it. I'm glad that they did it. And maybe one day we'll see it again, be it on a tour. Who knows? Maybe it'll get revived on Broadway one day. But anyway, thank you for listening to the episode, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're so glad uh, that you've made it to episode 10. Let's make it 20. Yes, please. Keep listening. Keep following. Go hit that subscribe button. Hit it. It doesn't cost you anything. I promise. Just click it and then leave us a five star review. And that's how other awesome people just like you can find us because it pushes us up in the rankings. And when people are like, oh, I want to listen to other performing arts podcasts, my favorite flop shows up right on that little list. Um, and Christina, where where can they find us like other than on Apple Podcasts? Well, 
You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, but you can also find us on all the socials at My Favorite Flop. We also have a website that features everything, including Bobby's Mystical Cabinet of Mysteries. You can find After the Bows there, Bobby's blog posts, any of the other fun stuff that we've been doing, but also be sure to check out our socials because that's where you find our clues. So that's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and oh yes, the Tickety Talks. Absolutely. All right. Well, and speaking of clues, I should probably give them the clue for the next episode. Um, yes, please. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I actually don't know if you're ready for this one because this is a this is an epic one. So here it goes. The clue for episode eleven is this. Songs from this show were released as music videos on VHS four years before opening night on Broadway. You've heard of the concept album before. This was the concept VHS video. video. That's pretty epic. It is epic. It's like when I find musicals on Laserdisc. (laughs) Laser. That's a conversation that needs to be had. All right. That's it. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us uh, today. And uh, Christina, do you have some parting words for our listeners? Yes, I do, Bobby. Even if you've been Fauci-ouchied, be like Galinda and stay in your bubble. Bye. Bye.